Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1 still. We'll be finishing up chapter 1. This week I, I did something um, that... It is so normal, and I hope that this will help us relate as we get ready to get into our passage today. I went, and I got my oil changed. It's a good thing. You're thinking, Pastor Dan, why, why are you telling us about that? That's so normal. It's something that, that people do. Sometimes you change your own oil. Sometimes you have someone do it for you. Uh, I got my windshield wipers changed, so I'm feeling pretty good. I can go down the road, and I can actually see what's on the road. You know, if you've ever been in that place where you haven't changed out your windshield wipers in a while, Thing is, I've been at a place in my life where I haven't gotten those things changed on time. In fact, we had a time in our uh, marriage that an oil change didn't happen in time and uh, slung a rod, and uh, that, that car was gone after that. And the reason I bring that up is because it's so important. Sometimes when we come, we want a newness and a freshness. When we come and we approach God's word, we want this newness and this freshness when, in our lives spiritually. We want something. That's why, you know, so many times in businesses, they put up signs, new, you know, something that's never happened before. They got a new product or they've got a new, I think of restaurants, they've got a, a new type of sandwich or something that they're going to sell, sandwich or salad or something of that nature. But at the end of the day, the reality is there needs to be in the Christian life maintenance. There's times that we go through and we just need to say maintenance. And, and you and I both know when that maintenance hasn't taken place. And it's not something that's real glamorous. It's not glamorous to get your oil changed. It's just something that you do. But the reality is for all of us, if you don't do it, you know that you can wind up stranded or on the side of the road. And so... Today I want to talk about our, our hearts, and I want to talk about this morning, I want us to hear what it means and that we, that we check our hearts this morning and make sure that we're not harboring any area of our life that there is hardness of the heart. As this past week came and went, I was looking at the uh, number of deaths that have been caused by COVID-19, and we have surpassed uh, well over 400,000 deaths. Millions of people have gotten uh, COVID, but uh, the death rate is certainly high, and I don't want to take away from that. That's something that, um, that is certainly a concern, but something that may not be known to you is that even though COVID is dangerous and millions across our nation has have it, had it, it is still not the number one cause of death in the United States. Are you aware of this? I'm not trying to make any political statements. I'm just trying to state, state the, the, the facts here this morning. Uh, and as a matter of fact, heart disease is, the, is still the leading cause of death in the United States. A person dies, listen to me, on average, every 36 seconds in the United States from cardiovascular disease, about 655,000 Americans die from heart disease every year. That's one in four 
deaths. And I went through and I looked at several different uh, references to make sure that this was on point. And sure enough, you see that these numbers are across the board um, the same at different uh, research places. Admittedly, heart disease is a term that, that describes several different conditions. You have things like artery disease. You have heart rhythm problems. Um, heart defects are actually uh, under the umbrella of, of heart disease. You have uh, valve issues or heart muscle issues or even heart infections are all under this. And while at the same time that we are being cautious around COVID, the reality stays the same. If you will protect your heart, you will also protect your life. It's just where we are. And so today, as you can see up here on the screen, we're going to be talking about harboring a hard heart. We've been seeing the disciples. We saw last week how the disciples, Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so now they are at a place where you've got the 11 and they are sensing the gap that is there because Judas is no longer there. As you may know from the book of Matthew that uh, Judas hung himself. And we'll be looking at some of those passages today. And we are seeing the, the void. Um, as you look in and as you see that Judas has died, yes, he committed suicide. But let's just be honest with, with one another. Judas had died spiritually long before he had his physical death because he had a horrible heart problem. And even before we get into the text today, I want you to see from your notes this morning, you can see I put you a little quote in there from Soren Kierkegaard. He is a Danish philosopher and theologian. He lived in the early 1800s, but I thought this was so pertinent to what we're going to be studying today. He said, one will get a deep insight into the state of Christianity in any age by seeing how it interprets Judas here. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I, I, I think a spiritual heart problem across the board, across Christians, gets widely ignored. And I believe with all my heart, that the number one cause of spiritual death is because of a spiritual heart problem. There were the 12 disciples, and we see just like in the Old Testament, there's the emphasis on 12, like the 12 tribes of Israel, and so they needed to fill their ranks. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to be with me this morning in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 15. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120. And so what you've got here is you've got the disciples, you've got the 12 disciples, but it also mentioned that you had Mary, the mother of Jesus. You've got some other followers to the point that it was 120 followers and so here's what Peter stands up and says in verse 16. He says, brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who 
arrested Jesus. It says, for he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field and with his unrighteous wages, he fell headfirst and his body burst open and his intestines spilled out. That's gross. But it's a reality that he hung himself and whether it be that, it, that his body fell or his body was decaying or whatever the situation may have been, his body fell and he was just left there without anyone to bury him. And as we look at this together, we see in this passage, if you go back into verse 16, it says that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David actually foretold about this situation with Judas. And I want to show you up here on the screen, this is a passage that, um, that he, he's going to explain some other passages here in just a second, but just so that you know kind of what Peter is talking about, we're going to put up Psalm 41 verse 9. And David, of course, is talking about those that had come against him, those that had betrayed him. But what you find typically in the Old Testament is that something that someone experienced like David, and he had people that came against him, it was almost like a double prophecy. It was something that he was experiencing, but then it was also a prophecy for the, the years ahead. And so in Psalm 41, verse 9, you can see up here on the screen, it said, David said, even my close friend, someone I trusted, who shared my bread, has turned against me. This was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus stepped on the scene. This came at no surprise to Jesus and certainly came at no surprise to God. And so we see that this that, that this uh, treachery had taken place in Jesus' ministry. Then we get into verse 19, and it says, This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem. So this was no secret. So that in their own language, that field was called Hakel Dama. That is field of blood. Now, why does he explain? Why does he say, okay, this is what it means, Hakel Dama? Is because you got to remember that, that Luke the physician wrote this letter to Theophilus in Greek. Hakeldama is Hebrew, all right? So he's explaining that's what it means, field of blood. Then you get into verse 21. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. And then this is just a reminder that Jesus' ministry started uh, at his baptism from John. You don't see any ministry being done before he's baptized. That was the starting point. And then where was the ending point? Until the time that he was taken up. We've been talking about that over the past couple weeks. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. Verse 23, so they... Proposed to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. And so what you have here, just, just as a side note, I don't know if you wanted to know this, but anytime you, you probably have seen um, all kinds of names with the word Bar in front, Barsabbas, Bartholomew, Barnabas, all that simply means is Junior. Okay, Bar just simply, simply means son of. So Barsabbas, son of 
Sabbath. And so they proposed these two guys, Barsabbas and Matthias. And it says that in verse 24, they prayed. Don't forget, we talked about that last week, the unifying factor in the church in that day and age and, and throughout the ages. As we've experienced that even this morning. So they prayed, you Lord, know everyone's heart. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place of this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Judas, of course, in several passages throughout the scriptures talk about how Judas was separated. He's in, he was uh, cast into hell. And then in verse 26, it says, So they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So we see this practice that takes place of casting lots, essentially rolling the dice, you see this taking place in the Old Testament many times. And now we no longer have to do that. So hear my heart. This is not something that I would encourage you. Father, do, do you want me to take this job or this job? Father, do you want me to go this direction with my life or this direction with my life? Do you want me to marry this person and this person? I would not encourage you to cast lots, okay? Now we have the Holy Spirit, the power of God, as we'll be talking about next week, to guide us and to lead us. And so this is actually the last time that you see them uh, in, in the history of the church casting lots. And so here's what I want us to see. I just want us to back up this morning. I want us to do a little bit of heart maintenance. I want us to look at the life of Judas. I want us to see what took place, what got them to this point today. And so if you've got your notes, I just want you to bring them out and let's just study a little bit. And I hope that we can be able to apply this to our lives this morning. The tragedy of Judas Iscariot. The tragedy of Judas Iscariot, and it was a tragedy. If you studied any type of plays growing up, you know that at a tra in a tragedy, uh, people um, die at the end of a tragedy. And that's exactly what happened with Judas Iscariot, that he died. And so here's what I want you to write down. Number one, that he was blessed, but blind. He was blessed, but he was blind. He grabbed this. He spent all that time with Jesus. I mean, three years of ministry. He heard, he heard the sermons. I mean, he even got to hear those sermons explained. Sometimes when Jesus was telling a parable to the people, that he would tell them to the people and they'd all be scratching their head. And then he would come back to the disciples and the disciples would look at him and go, Jesus, we, we didn't understand that. Can, can you explain that to us? And so Jesus would have an explanation for the disciples. And so so you have him, he's heard all of these, these messages, he's heard them explained. He saw the miracles firsthand. He saw them. Imagine, we don't even get that, to be able to see Jesus touch somebody or put something on their eyes and then be able to see or leprosy be gone. And nevertheless, he saw all those things. Here's something to think about. He even participated in the miracles. If you go back into the book of Matthew chapter 10, it says that Jesus called the 12 disciples, didn't leave any of them out, and, said, and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Even Judas got to do some miracles. He was totally blessed, but completely blind. And you have right there, it says that he was with Christ during his entire ministry, and yet he remained unchanged. 
This is why this is so important for us to talk about today. Because there are people who can be around church. They can be around Christianity. They can serve. They can teach. They can talk the talk and walk the walk, but they're spiritually blind as a bat and they have a, a huge heart issue. Mr. Riggs and I have a, a great expression that we like to talk about. It, says, it goes like this, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you a car. The reality is you can walk in church all you want, but it doesn't mean that you've had a heart change. It happened with Judas and it can happen with us. Most of the reasons that people die physically in our day and age from heart disease is because they don't know that they have the problem in the first place. That's why they have heart attacks. If they knew that they had a problem, then they, would, then they would go out on preventative measures, but they don't realize they have that problem. And it's important for us to look at the life of Judas. He didn't realize that he had a problem. And when us, when we have a spiritual heart problem, we've got to recognize, God, I need you to tell me things that I don't know. I was, I was reading a quote this week as I was studying this passage and just, uh, just praying over it. I found a quote that goes like this. What a heartbreak it would be to live as an almost Christian and have an almost Christian life and then almost get to heaven. Because you didn't know. But it was almost. You know, they, they say that almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. It doesn't count when it comes to your salvation. When it comes to your eternity, almost doesn't cut it. It's either you know him or you don't. And that's something that we need to look at. That he was blessed, but he was blind. The second thing that I want you to write down this morning is that he appeared sincere. Judas genuinely appeared sincere. But he was selfish, write that one down, and stubborn. He was selfish and he was stubborn. I want to talk about both of these things. After you get done writing that down, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to flip back just one book with me. I want us to go to the book of John. So grab your Bible and we're going to flip back to the book of John. And I want you to go to chapter 12. I want you to know it was later in life that I even saw this passage. I had never known that this existed. And so I want you to see, I knew that, that Judas betrayed Jesus. I knew that, um, you know, a lot of his story, but this is something that I had never seen before. I want to make sure that you know it this morning too. In John chapter 12, we get some insight into Judas's heart where he could put on the plastic smile. He could play the game, but in reality, that there was all kinds of nonsense that was taking place. Look in verse 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. Hopefully you know that story. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one, who, uh, was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointing Jesus' feet 
and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Many of y'all know this story that she goes down. She's had all kinds of heart change coming, being so far from God. And so what she does is she takes this expensive perfume and she puts it on his feet. And in one of the most humble expressions, instead of getting a towel or something like that, she, she literally wipes his feet with her hair, showing her submission to him. Now look at verse four. Don't miss this. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii? It was expensive. And given to the poor. And then verse 6 highlights this. Gives a little commentary that we wouldn't understand. And it says this. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief. Look at this. This is what Judas used to do. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Have you ever seen that before? And so here what we have is that Judas wasn't just, he didn't, he wasn't just the one that betrayed Jesus. He was consistently selfish. He was consistently stubborn. And so here he is, he's helping himself to the money. And here's what I want us to see. And here's what I want us to learn. You see there in your notes, A right there, he used ministry for personal gain. Nevertheless, he, he looked so sincere. We could have given this money to the poor. Is that really what he cared about? No. He used ministry for personal gain. How many times have I seen this happen? And it's not just with pastors and teachers. I don't want you to get that into your mind this morning. I think every single person should be involved in doing ministry. Every person across this room needs to be a leader in ministry at some capacity. You all have influence. And those that are watching online, whether you're sick or whether you weren't able to make it today, I want you to hear that exact same thing this morning, that God has called you to play a part in his ministry and to give a kingdom investment. He doesn't want us to sit on the sidelines at all. He doesn't want us to be on the bleachers. Nevertheless, we have to search our hearts because sometimes people will use that ministry, that kingdom investment for personal gain. We have to check our hearts. Some people will use their ministry for popularity or sometimes they'll use it because that's where a group of people are and they want to be more successful in business. Church doesn't have a place for that that we need to be a, a part of God's business. Some people will use ministry for power. Think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests. They wanted power. They didn't care about other people. They just cared about people looking at them higher up. They just wanted power. Some will actually use ministry for unfulfilled needs. Sometimes this happens where people have issues with self-esteem. And they don't, they don't know who they are. They don't know their real identity and that their identity is in Christ. And so they try to find their identity in ministry. And let me just tell you from personal experience, 20 years in the ministry of what I've been seeing is every single time they're let down. Because if you don't find your identity in Christ and Him alone, you will not find your identity in anything else. You will forever be on a search. Hear my heart. 
I know that there are people that struggle with all types of things. And I just got to level with you this morning. You won't find your identity in ministry. You have to find your identity in Jesus Christ. I don't find my identity in being a pastor. Yes, it's the call on my life, but it's not my identity. My identity is that I am a child of God and he has saved my soul. And so my ministry flows out of my identity. Do you see how that manifests itself in your own life? We can't be like that. And Judas is actually stealing. He talks a big game. He's talking about the poor. And nevertheless, you see right here in your notes, but he was seduced by sin. He was seduced by sin. And listen to me. When Jesus didn't meet his expectations, he turned his back. And, and this is something that we've we got to be careful of. You got to hear me this morning. There will be times that you don't understand what Jesus is doing in your life. You won't get it, but you just trust Jesus towards the end of his life all the time, especially as they're moving from Galilee down to Jerusalem. He's telling them over and over, I'm going to die. It's going to happen. And half the time they're just looking at him like a dog, you know, when you whistle, you know, the dog just kind of turns his head. A lot of times that's what the disciples are doing. They, they don't fully understand. But Jesus is not meeting Judas's expectations. And so he's seduced by this sin. And so the chief priest and they need this inside man. And so they, they couldn't just arrest him outright. The, the, the population probably would have uh, come to Jesus's aid. And so and so they need one of the 12. And so uh, Judas provides being that. And so Judas uses something. Think about this. Something so subtle. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers come out. And what does he do? Something that's subtle. Doesn't say, hey guys, this is the one. He just kisses him. It was a greeting back in that day and age. And so he betrays him with a kiss. That was very subtle. I was reading this week about, there's an actor, his name is uh, Charles Dutton. I don't know if you know who he is. You could probably look him up online after our worship service today. Charles Dutton, he was, uh, he was in the movies uh, Alien 3 and A Time to Kill. And, but before Mr. Dutton became an actor, he was actually a prisoner. He was in jail. And one day he was being interviewed by a reporter who asked him, after with, with a lot of his success, they said, why weren't you a repeat offender? What happened that, you know, so many times people go into jail and they go, they cycle out. He said, why didn't you become a repeat offender like so many? And so why he didn't commit another crime like all the other men and ended up back in prison? Listen to his answer. This is amazing. His answer was very informative. He said, unlike the other prisoners, I never decorated my cell. In other words, he never made his prison cell his home. See, that's something that we can learn from, from Judas. That's something that we can learn in our own life is that he was so seduced by sin. Don't get me wrong, guys. We get seduced by sin. We fall down. Every single person in here is a sinner. We know that. 
But it doesn't mean that we have to decorate that jail cell of sin in our life. It doesn't mean that we pour into that. It doesn't mean that we entertain those sinful thoughts. If anything, when we fall down and we give into sin, we say, Jesus, I need you to help raise me right back up. This is not the place that I want to stay. But that's not where Judas was. And a lot of times that's what happens in people's lives. They get sucked into sin and they stay there decorating their cell. The third thing that I want you to write down this morning, and when we think about Judas and him being replaced by uh, Mathis, is that he was remorseful, but he was unrepentant. He was remorseful, but he was unrepentant. Here's what I want you to hear this morning as we're talking about doing a, a little maintenance of our heart, okay? is that sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It always takes you farther. Let me tell you something. We live in New Orleans, and drugs are heavy in New Orleans, whatever those drugs might be, whether they be marijuana, whether they be heroin, whether they be popping pills, any of those things. And here's what I've seen. Not one time have I seen that actually help someone. Help them spiritually. Help them grow closer to God. Not one time. In fact, every single time that I have had to address this as a pastor, it's always been awful. People get so hooked on drugs and it just takes them farther and farther than they ever imagined that they would go. Lust and adultery, cheating on a test, greed, it all looks so good. But the price is so steep. And even though that there's consequences, there's always a place and a time that we can cry out to God to save us. Cry out for His forgiveness. And, and we even see that. I, I want you to recognize this. You see right there in your notes that even Judas returned his betrayal fee. He returned it. You know the story. He betrays Jesus. Jesus is going, he's, he's crucified. And, and Judas looks back at his life, realizes what he's done, and he says, I, I, can't, I can't do this. And he actually takes the 30 pieces of silver that were given to him to betray Jesus, and he brings it back to the chief priests. And he throws it in to them. Nevertheless, he returned his betrayal fee, but... B, don't miss this, he held on to his sin. Here's what I want us to see. This is so important. Don't miss this this morning. Is that he was trying to experience a righteousness by works. And you and I, maybe that we don't try to work our way to heaven or work our way to Jesus by, you know, bringing back money or silver or anything like that. But the reality is there's many times that we say, you know what, I'm going to try to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to try to do this and this and this better. And the reality is we need God in the process. We need God in the process. He was remorseful, but he was unrepentant. When I came uh, to New Orleans, some of y'all know this story, and if you've gone through the new members class, um, then you may have heard the story. When, when I came to New Orleans 12 years ago, I realized it is so hard to take a left turn. What is going on? I came here from Mississippi, and, and you were just able to go to an intersection and take a left turn, and I was just like, what, what's going on here? You go down Veterans Boulevard, and you want to be over there. You can't get over there because there's this giant canal in the middle of everything. 
you want to turn around and you've got to get in the U-turn lane. You've got to go the other way. See, a lot of times, here's what happens, folks. We get in this place where we think that, that we can, oh, that we can be at this place where we're remorseful, but we can still keep going the same way with our lives. We don't have to call out to God. We, don't, we can just be remorseful. And nevertheless, God says, no, 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 no. You've got to be repentant. And repentance simply means this, a change of mind and a change of direction. Judas was remorseful, but he didn't repent. He didn't go to God in order to change his direction. And so for us, we've got to see this. 1 John 1, 9, we're going to put it up here on the screen just so that you know what it looks like. What are the first steps of being repentant? It's simply this, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It starts with confession. Judas never confessed. And for all of us, there has to come a place in our life that we go to Jesus first. That's where repentance starts. That's where the U-turn starts is with Jesus and him alone. And then the final thing that I just want to mention this morning, and then we'll be done, is that Judas was chosen, but he was replaced. He was chosen, but he was replaced. After we see this in Acts uh, chapter 1, and towards the very end, we see where the disciples pray, and that these, uh, we, we see how that he was chosen, that Matthias was chosen and added to the 11, and ultimately that he was replaced. Here's what I want us to understand. Did, did Jesus make a mistake in choosing Judas? Did he make a mistake? Could he have chosen someone else and it all would have worked out just fine? No, look at me. Jesus never makes a mistake in who he chooses. He never makes a mistake. Yet, every single one of us has that responsibility. And here's what I want you to understand. This is a harsh reality. There's nothing easy about this passage at all. The the harsh reality is you don't have to follow God in order to be used by him. What? I thought that I had to follow God in order to be used by Him. No, you do not have to follow God in order to be used by Him. God will gain, God can gain glory through anyone or anything. Let me give you some great biblical examples. Pharaoh. Pharaoh, God never had Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was stubborn. When we talk about the word stubborn, I mentioned it earlier in, in uh, point number two. Stubborn, sometimes the Bible uses this, this word stiff-necked. Do you know what that means? Back in that day and age when you were plowing your fields, you had oxen. And so you needed the oxen when they were plowing the fields to turn at certain times. They couldn't just keep on going into the bushes. You needed them to turn. You needed them to plow the field. Well, there were times that that oxen wouldn't turn. So you would prod it in the neck and sometimes it still wouldn't turn. And it was, just, it was gonna go its way or the highway. That's where this, we get this concept of being stiff-necked. And so we have Pharaoh who was stiff-necked. And, and so nevertheless, God used him. All the 10 plagues, bringing the people through the Red Sea, all of that took place because he was stiff-necked. And God gained glory for bringing the people out of Egypt through a stiff-necked person. It happens all the time. God will use you even if you don't want him to use you. King Saul, he was chosen, 
He was chosen. Ultimately, God used him, as you see David coming up behind him. That, if you, you wouldn't have the story of David and Goliath if you didn't have the story of Saul. Do you realize that? If you didn't have how Saul, everything fell around him. King Solomon. King Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. But you know what? Man, he, he committed all types of lust and adultery. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, but he built the temple. God used him. God's even able to use a talking donkey even before there was Shrek. God can use anyone he chooses. And so as we close this morning, as we talk about this maintenance of our heart, we talk about looking into our hearts. I want to close with this. We're not going to turn there, but if you want, you could go to 2 Timothy 2, and it kind of gives you an idea of what it's talking about. It talks about how different things in your home are used for noble purposes and ennoble purposes. I'll, I'll tell you how this relates in my life. In my house, I have different types of brushes that I use for cleaning. You do too, okay? I have a toothbrush. I use it to clean my teeth. So do you, hopefully. I have, we have one of those brushes in our kitchen sink that you use to get the dishes all clean. Maybe there's something stuck to them before you put them in the dishwasher or something like that. I have that kind of brush. I even have a toilet brush. And I have all these different types of brushes and all the three that I just mentioned, all of them do the job of cleaning. Nevertheless, I will never touch my dishes or my teeth with the toilet brush. But I use it, and it gets the job done. And here's what I want us to see from the story of Judas as we're into the book of Acts, that God will use you for noble purposes or ignoble purposes. He, he will use you. He doesn't make mistakes in who he chooses. And this is where I want for all of us to come together this morning and say, you know what, Pastor Dan? You're right. I need to check my heart because I want to be used for a kingdom investment. I want to be used to glorify God in a good way. I, it's not to say that you're a toothbrush, but I just want you to hear this morning with all of my heart. I want God to use you powerfully to build his kingdom. Let's bow and have a word of prayer.